Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hello and welcome to another edition of Compliance Beat. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about conflicts of interest this time. I wanted to talk about three, uh, I think, important uh, concepts or, or, or rules, or not, not really rules, but three um, items that you want to keep in mind uh, when you're considering uh, conflicts of interest compliance at your organization. Um, conflicts is something that uh, comes up um, in the beginning of the year or the end of the year for many organizations. Uh, some organizations in your organization organization maybe one of these already have a uh, disclosure process or sort of conflicts of interest uh, certification process in place uh, some of your organization some of you your organizations may not uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute uh, but the first thing I wanted to talk about is just broadly messaging around conflicts of interest and I think the key here is to tailor the messaging around conflicts. Uh, like many risk topics, many compliance topics out there, uh, how they affect different parts of your population can vary uh, tremendously. And this is particularly tr true, I think, with conflicts of interest. Uh, the conflicts of interest that could come up, uh, for example, uh, with a senior executive of your organization versus somebody who is uh, much uh, further down the chain of command uh, and then uh, somebody who's in purchasing, uh, who has a lot of face time with vendors uh, and, and other third parties, uh, conflicts uh, will vary. Potential for conflicts will vary. Uh, somebody who is a hiring manager uh, or has a, a position where they are responsible for hiring is going to have a much uh, different profile for potential conflicts of interest than somebody who doesn't do any hiring, for example. So I think it's vitally important for organizations to consider sort of where their um, red zones are around potential uh, conflict of interest compliance issues might be uh, and tailor messaging and communication to those populations that really focus on, on where those conflicts uh, might crop up. Because otherwise it's, it's, it can be a rather broad uh, group and uh, the dis description of a conflict uh, sometimes you'll see a definition, something like anything that puts you in conflict with the organization. And, uh, you know, these really broad definitions that really aren't all that helpful and don't don't really uh, define the scenarios where, for example, let's use the hiring uh, manager uh, uh, as an example, where the hiring manager is uh, 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 interviewing potential uh, applicants for a job and one of the applicants is related uh, to somebody that the hiring manager knows really well, or it's their niece or nephew, or uh, the niece or nephew of somebody else in the organization, and the hiring manager knows that, like a senior executive's relative. Well, you know, potential for conflicts are, in, in a hiring situation are really uh, pretty clear, um, and they don't need to be amorphous, and they don't need to be as broad as some of the definitions we have for conflicts of interest in, say, our code of conduct or written policies might be. So I think key number one is to tailor the conflicts of interest messaging uh, for those populations, uh, for those uh, top line 
conflicts of interest risks that you perceive in your organization. Uh, I think that can really, really be helpful, uh, particularly in organizations uh, that have maybe some unique aspects to the potential conflicts that could crop up, either through your purchasing or your other third-party relationships or uh, hiring or, or any of these aspects. So you have to kind of look at your own uh, risk profile for your organization and figure out where those pain points for conflicts of interest might be uh, and tailor the messaging appropriately. Second key, I think, for successful conflicts of interest compliance is to consider how broad uh, the group will be for certification and disclosure. Uh, the certifica certification and disclosure are, are sometimes linked, uh, obviously slightly different. Uh, certification is usually some sort of similar admonishment to uh, a, a broad code or compliance certification in that you read and understand conflicts of interest policy. Uh, disclosure uh, is usually a little more uh, directed uh, series of questions, uh, queries, uh, to designed to sort of tease out where potential conflicts of interest might exist uh, and have the employee uh, disclose those potential conflicts for review. Um, certification and disclosure can be together, can be separate, can have one or the other. I've seen it done several different ways. I think it's, it's worthwhile to, to combine them though. I think it's worthwhile to have as part of that broader disclosure uh, series of disclosure queries and we can do another podcast here in the future about what uh, you know what are some of the main queries you want in a disclosure process but uh, uh, I think it can be valuable to have certification as part of that as sort of the the uh, um, threshold question yes I've I read and understand the conflicts of interest policy of the organization because if they haven't you know you have a you know a link to the policy there, you have the policy available so that they can review the policy if they have not uh, done that or don't recall that they've done that. So I think, um, uh, uh, you, you know, most organizations, uh, or many organizations, I should say, have some sort of certification and disclosure process, have a disclosure process, have a certification process, but some organizations don't have anything. And I am still uh, still come across organizations that I work with, either uh, where I'm helping them with their, uh, you know, doing a assessment of their program or we're involved in some other project. And, it, and we come across the fact that they don't have uh, a disclosure process. Or uh, probably the more common situation these days is they have a disclosure process, but it's not universal. Uh, it only uh, uh, disclosure and certification on conflicts of interest is only for VP level and above or director level and above or some sort of uh, carve out uh, for the majority of people in the organization. Um, I would suggest, and if you've listened to my podcast here in the last year, you probably have heard me mention a couple of times talking about uh, the, uh, the, the, the sentencing guidelines and where and how the sentencing guidelines and other recognized standards uh, suggest that organizations can be bound by the conduct of individuals. And what I'm talking about here is uh, in Chapter 8 of the uh, U.S. Sentencing Guidelines, uh, actually in Section 8A 1.2, uh, uh, Application Note 3, this is the definitional section of Chapter 8 of the Sentencing Guidelines. It talks about who substantial authority personnel 
uh, in the organization might be. And one of the, uh, I did a podcast a, a few months back about sort of uh, unknown uh, uh, or misunderstood or less, less uh, well-known parts of the sentencing guidelines. And this is one of those. And that's the, the difference between a substantial authority personnel uh, and a high-level personnel. Uh, I think there's some confusion about that. And, and it really boils down to this. And this is why it's important for conflicts of interest. Uh, those people that are considered substantial authority personnel who combine the organization uh, under the sentencing guideline standards and under uh, the applicable law includes a very potentially very broad group of people. Let me read the definition to you. It says this term includes high-level personnel of the organization, individuals who exercise substantial supervisory authority, and then it says, and then it gives an example, e.g., a plant manager, a sales manager, or any other individual who, although not part of an organization's management, nevertheless exercise substantial discretion when acting within the scope of their authority. And then it says another example, e.g., an individual with authority in an organization to negotiate or set price levels, or an individual authorized to negotiate or approve significant contracts. That is very broad. And it also goes on to the final sentence of the definition says, whether an individual falls within this category must be determined on a case-by-case basis. Now, although they've given you a couple of examples here, including some really broad descriptions like sales manager, plant manager, individual with authority to negotiate price levels or negotiate or approve significant contracts. Well, what's a significant contract? So what I'm trying to say here and what I said in the earlier podcast when I was discussing this particular uh, concept of substantial authority personnel is potentially uh, you could be bound as an organization, your organization could be bound to potential criminal conduct or other misconduct or other, other potential liability by somebody who's not in the management authority of the organization, so not a VP level and above not a director level and above, but somebody who's acting within their authority. So they're doing what they have the authority to do. They're not doing something they shouldn't be doing or they don't have the authority to do. But if they're acting within their authority and their authority allows them to approve significant contracts or set price levels or uh, other activities that might be considered uh, significant in some way, then they can bind your company and they can bind your company uh, to criminal liability. And therefore, it's my opinion, and I think it would be wise for an organization to include those people in a certification of conflicts of interest and a disclosure process for conflicts of interest. So what I'm saying, basically, is you need to take some time to really think about who those people might be in your organization. And if you don't have a good grasp on it, or you're not entirely sure, then maybe it's a universal conflicts of interest certification and disclosure process, or at least a universal conflicts of interest certification. Um, I, I think you, you know, belt and suspenders, you should be doing both and you should be doing both universally. More and more organizations that I talk to and, and, and work with are doing a, a more universal conflicts of interest certification and disclosure process. It's becoming more common. But I still, as I mentioned already, come across organizations that either A, aren't doing this at all, 
or are doing it in a very limited fashion involving the top 20 or 30 executives in the organization or the top couple hundred uh, people in management. Um, I think that's better than nothing, but I think that you potentially open yourself up uh, for, for uh, liability that you perhaps, perhaps might be able to discover through a disclosure and certification process uh, before it goes outside the organization. So that's the second key is uh, consider uh, broad disclosure, consider the, the breadth of the disclosure and certification process of your organization. And then the third key, uh, and this is, uh, I think, uh, a function of uh, consideration of the second. You know, if you're really going to expand this process and include perhaps thousands of people, you need to have a tool. Um, I know some disclosure and certification processes for conflicts of interest are still done manually. There might be a, um, a spreadsheet out there somewhere. Uh, maybe uh, the disclosure form is, is, is still uh, uh, distributed manually and collected manually and, and collated and handled manually. Uh, that's a lot of work, even if it's only you know a couple of hundred people. But certainly it's an impossible task if you're talking about thousands. Uh, certainly with for, for most organizations, they don't have the resources and compliance to, to, to undertake uh, a process like that. So you need to consider a tool. Um, uh, very often, uh, you'll have a code of conduct certification process that happens internally in the LMS or some associated online tool like a SharePoint tool that's been developed or something like that. Um, you know, this is not a complex process when you're talking about uh, conflicts of interest disclosure forms and questions and conflicts of interest uh, certification. Certification is just going to be just that, just a, an acknowledgement. Uh, the disclosure process, if you get responses that require explanation, that should, you know, you, it doesn't take much of a system to be able to, to inform you or the appropriate personnel in the organization that there's a disclosure uh, that needs review. Uh, so, but if you're going to be conducting this process involving uh, hundreds and potentially thousands of individuals and employees and maybe other third parties out there, uh, it's something that really begs for a tool. Uh, again, I think this is something, and I've seen it, uh, be adapted within an LMS system. Uh, so perhaps uh, during that annual uh, code of conduct training and code of conduct certification. There's uh, an, a few additional questions that have to do with conflicts of interest and conflicts of interest disclosure. That's really, uh, I think, uh, a good way to handle it. Uh, that's certainly something that I've seen done uh, more than once by by many organizations. Uh, if not, you know, I don't think it's uh, probably uh, a, a lot of heavy lifting to get a simple tool put together. Uh, that can be um, uh, utilized separately from that uh, from the LMS if that's not appropriate in your case. But some sort of tool is something that you're going to need to contemplate. Um, and uh, uh, it just will make your life a lot easier, even if you're not doing a universal uh, disclosure or certification process just yet. So those are three uh, keys, three items. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them rules. There's certainly lots of other things that go into a successful uh, conflicts of interest uh, uh, process. And as I said, I think I'll probably do a podcast here in the not too distant future where I'll talk about some topics that you, pro that you probably want to include in your disclosure questionnaire uh, to, to really get at the heart of potential conflicts issues. 
but if you, I think if you focus on, on these three things, communicating uh, and, and tailoring uh, the, those communications to, to the different uh, stakeholders that might have potential risk, uh, considering the breadth of uh, the population that you're uh, including in disclosure and certification, and using tools, I think those three are good keys, good places to start when you're considering your current conflict of interest pro uh, disclosure and certification process or one that you want to undertake in the future. As always, uh, thank you for listening. If you've got questions, uh, suggestions, comments, uh, would like to get a hold of us for any reason, you can find us at moreheadconsulting.com, uh, compliancebeat.com, or you can email me directly at any time at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.